And welcome back to another installment of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer, and with me today is a uh, guest, uh, James, James Foley? Uh, yes. Yeah. And you, you, you're sort of better known on the internet as... Uh, the Skeptical Vegan. The, the skeptical. I... Okay. And I guess uh, you, you write like a blog, right? Yeah, I, I run a blog uh, just exploring the intersection of skepticism and veganism, both things that really interest me. Um, it's kind of a community that has a lot of pseudoscience. Right, no so. doubt, yeah. yeah. And uh, you, you've, been on, you've been on a couple other podcasts, haven't you? Uh, I, I got interviewed for the Witch Side podcast a little okay. while back. Okay. As uh, I think it's a vegan anarchist podcast. Oh wow! Okay, it's something not 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 quite what I'm into, but you know, <laughs> well, but but the, your your topic isn't actually veganism and conspiracies, but uh, I mean it is about conspiracies. But just before we sort of dive into the conspiracy, um, uh, what's the difference between a vegan and a vegetarian? Um, a vegetarian is someone who doesn't eat meat. A vegan would be someone who doesn't consume any animal products, okay. uh, including any anything like eggs, dairy, even honey. Avoids using things like wool and leather. Okay, all right then. Okay, and and it, uh, is it new or or have, have, they, have vegans been around for as long as there's been vegetarians? Or because I mean, I mean, but, I, I, I mean, I started hearing that term in maybe the, the 1990s, but. The the term is somewhat new, only several decades old, uh, really. But um, I mean, there's there's traditions that are somewhat that would be somewhat similar to a vegan diet, such as the Jain traditions in India, but not quite. I would say like modern like veganism, like the way it's practiced, is somewhat a new thing. Okay, and and the the Jains they don't believe in like killing anything or stepping on bugs or. Yeah, and, and it even goes a little bit farther, like uh, a lot of them will avoid root vegetables, uh, like um, I think it, it has to do with, uh, I've read different explanations, one is that like it kills things to uproot the vegetables, and other explanation is a uh, more spiritual thing about uh, certain types of uh, vegetables having souls or something. Right. Okay. All right. But I'm, I'm not a Jane scholar. All right. Now I was reading like I don't know if you made the point that um, you know that um, you, you know you know people always say like oh those those preachy vegetarians or those preachy vegans or something. But it, it, it tends to be I mean more the case that you know if you are like you know you're in a work environment or something and you let your coworkers know you're a vegetarian or, or a vegan, you you tend to get you tend to be the butt end of a lot more jokes than than most you know vegetarians or vegans are sort of dishing out. Oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely noticed that. I've gotten to a point in many, you know, instances, you you try not to be too vocal about it, because that, that is the response. Right. I'll, be at, I'll be at an event, someone notices I'm not eating what everyone else is eating, I mean, maybe something that I brought myself, Right. and yeah, then they have to make a big deal out of it. Yeah, well, I mean, this is something very, very sort of primal, right, of just about everyone sharing food together and breaking bread and that sort of stuff, and and so if you're kind of like hanging back, you know, people, it, it's 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 like, well, did you just poison all the food we're eating, and that's why you're not eating our food or something? 
Yeah, I can definitely see that. I can definitely understand why, uh, like, families would react badly when their kids go vegetarian and start to not want to eat their food. Because I, I started making my own meals when I was 13 because I went vegetarian then. And I can understand, you know, families, you know, being a little not liking that. Right, okay, yeah. I mean, confession, you know, I am you know, I eat meat, but um, I'm one of these people who, like, I just, I kind of wish the government would, you know, just raise the, the price of meat and, you know, build in the, the whole, you know, ev- environmental cost to, like, beef and stuff like that, which would, I, I only respond to price signals. Like, I do not respond to... Um, you know, um, even though I know that you know, being a vegetarian and being a vegan is probably better for the planet, better health-wise. It's 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 all around a, just a better way to be. Um, I still love meat too much. It's like it's like trying to tell like a cigarette someone who smokes cigarettes to just 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 stop smoking because it'll kill you. Like the, the only way you really get people to stop smoking is just keep raising the price of cigarettes. Yeah, and, and it definitely is a really heavily subsidized industry. So if if it wasn't as subsidized as it is, it would be a lot more expensive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I lived in uh, Korea, and you, you can well imagine, like, beef in Korea goes, like, $50 a pound or something <laughs> like that. Um, just, uh, you know, but it wasn't, didn't make me into a vegetarian, but it just, it, it did drive me to um, uh, buy sort of cheaper meat, like, you know, pork and chicken and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I found it is actually, it was more expensive. It was more expensive to like buy your own ground beef and uh, make your own hamburgers than you could just go to McDonald's. You could buy a hamburger at McDonald's, take the meat patty off, take it home, and then put it on your own buns. It was it was. I'm I'm not sure how McDonald's could charge so little for like a Big Mac when making any burger at home was was enormously expensive. Yeah, I'm amazed. You know, whether going to fast food or even going through like the the aisles in the grocery store, a lot of like the ready-made stuff it's it's cheaper than you can make it from the same ingredients like you you would have to be able to buy things in giant contain container ships at wholesale cost to be able to like ma- match that price yeah exactly I, uh, I mean the only ten- thing you 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 know they just put salt in everything and I don't mind salt. Like, you know, you could just, I could just, you know, just put a salt lick right down my throat. <laughs> I can handle it. But but my girlfriend is, uh, you know, she has a, you know, hypertension and stuff like that. So she can't, um, you know, deal with salt. And I sort of moved in with her recently. So I'm starting to look, you know, at, at now the sodium thing on, on, on the back of packages and stuff. And But uh, I guess we're, we're, people hate this when I just sort of go, hey, I got an interesting guest. You know, just tell me about your life. But tell me about your life. Uh, can I, how old are you? What do you do for a living? Are you married, single? What, what, uh, if you don't mind answering any of those questions or just say, you know, fuck off, Carl, if they're too personal. Uh, all Korean questions. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm a regular listener. Okay. Uh, I know the deal. Um, well, I'm, uh, right now I'm 28. I'm going to school right now for, uh, to get a de- degree in biotechnology. I'm just really interested in genetic engineering. Wow. Okay. And I'm also trying to, you know, work on the intersection of that and my veganism. Um, working on working with a group here in Oakland that wants to take regular baker's yeast and get them modify them to express the milk protein casein, so that can be taken and purified and make a vegan cheese that actually tastes and acts like cheese. Right. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So this hence sort of the intersection. You know, your your veganism and you know, as someone who's studying, especially biotech, you know, studying, you, you, you can sort of look at these claims and go, oh, no, that's just, that's just wrong. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I sort of print, I, I sort of dump your your blog post into my Kindle and kind of read it over coffee and stuff like that. So it's it, yeah, it is quite it's quite interesting. And and I I just always feel like, you know, like I don't want to read your comment section because I can just imagine like you you probably must get like some angry people who are like, you know, you're just a stooge of Monsanto and. Oh yeah, yeah. Never read the comment section. It's it's yeah. pretty bad in there. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't read, I don't read reviews for my podcast or any, anything like that. I just, just you know, like I say, if five people listen, I'm happy. But, but uh, as long as people aren't like threatening to hurt me, no one has ever has, so uh, everything's good. But um, all right. So um, uh, so what what is your what is your favorite conspiracy? Uh, I would say. Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's definitely one that's really special to me. It's one I grew up believing, um, and it's the conspiracy that the uh, the ATF and the FBI conspired to murder the Branch Davidians during the uh, during the Waco siege of 1993. Oh, okay. Now, tw- 28. What year? What year were you born? Um, 86. So I was. I believe I was almost. I was almost seven when the the siege happened. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that, that's old enough to sort of kind of watch that on TV and go, "What is going on?" Because I remember around that age, six seventy two. I mean, that was sort of for me. That was I was born in sixty six. That was sort of like the tail end of the Vietnam War and stuff. And you know, cause I can imagine. I remember growing up as a boy, just like there's a war on, but no one's bombing my city. Like I didn't quite understand, but but um, yeah. Okay. So. Um, and so from when to when did you actually sort of kind of believe there was, you know, malfeasance behind this? Well, um, not not long after it happened. I, in fact, I believe the uh, the very same year, um, a, uh, a filmmaker by the name of Linda Thompson released uh, a couple documentaries called Waco, The Big Lie and The Big Lie Continues. And... Um, I didn't. I didn't watch those when I was like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. I think I was. I was probably close to like twelve or thirteen when I uh, saw those first ones, and um, and that presents it presents the story of uh, the siege and the fire from a you know from a conspiracy theorist point of view. Um, and I've actually, in, like, while doing some more research, I found that like her claims have been rejected by most of the other conspiracy theorists. Like they, they think she's just like way out there and wacky. All right. And was, what, what was, what, why did the, uh, maybe we should sort of roll it back. Cause I, you know, it, it's disturbing how many, you know, young 20 somethings I work with today who, I mean, the early 1990s to them is just like, you know, their, their childhood, really early childhood. So, so what, what was, where, where is Waco? Uh, what was Waco? So yeah, it'd probably have uh, be good to have a little bit of background. So um, Waco, uh, Waco, Texas, um, kind of just cent- central Texas, um, more or less. It's a big state, um, but um, near there was a place called uh, Mount Carmel Center, and that was a uh, a seventy-seven acre uh, ranch that was. Um, originally owned by a group called the Branch Davidians, and they had broken off from the Seventh-day Adventist. All right. And after a series of, uh, of prophets um, dying and new people taking over the group, uh, eventually, in, I believe, 19, uh, the mid-1980s, a uh, man by the name of Vernon Howell, 
who would eventually became known to the world as uh, David Koresh, hmm. he took over the group. Um, there was a there was a split. He took some of the group. He took some of the group with him, um, and eventually the uh, the leader of the other split. Uh, they had a battle. Um, Vernon Howell went to prison for um, basically trying to murder the guy. Oh, like like um, like like a gun battle or? Yeah, they they actually. What happened was um, the rival leader was named George Roden, and he had kicked Vernon Howell off property at gunpoint along with his followers. And then uh, Roden had gone and dug up the body of one of the other followers that had died many years previous and said, you know, look, we're going to settle this. Who's going to be the next prophet? We're going to see who can raise this person from the dead. Uh, Vernon Howell... I, I don't know what was going through his mind, but he decided to, uh, instead of, you know, take the challenge, he called the local sheriff and uh, said that there was some corpse, corpse desecration going yeah. on. Take, take it from me, one, even one indictment for an indignity to, indignity to a human corpse, the job market dries up. Yeah, so... Um, so sheriff, sheriff wouldn't pursue it without further evidence. So basically Howell and his followers went to the property, uh, while armed to try and gather evidence, uh, mm. of this. They were confronted, a gun battle happened. Um, they pinned Roden behind a tree and, uh, the police, the police eventually came and arrested, uh, Koresh and his followers, and he eventually, uh, they all got they all got off uh, on technicalities and a mistrial. Um, and then Rodin later he killed a guy over his religious beliefs uh, in like a separate matter, and that resulted that left the property open. So Koresh moved back into Mount Carmel and took it over and was living with uh, about eighty or so of his followers uh, there. Okay. So other than uh, that, these branch Davidians, I mean, other than, I mean, clearly based on, you know, good, solid, biblical, old time biblical principles, what, what, what is, what, what is kind of their, uh, what's their bent, you know, what do they believe? Uh, their main, their main deal, like most Adventists, is that um, the imminent return of Christ okay. and uh, the imminent apocalypse, but Koresh's uh, main thing was the seven seals, which is a portion of Revelations that it's it's the scroll that has these seven seals on it, right. and they represent these prophecies that have to be unlocked by the Lamb, and right, okay. he claimed to be the Lamb, which is the new Christ. Okay, yeah, I think every time they break a seal, some terrible thing happens to the world or something like that. Uh, yeah, in fact, I was uh, reading about it. Um, Basically, the fifth seal was that God's people would be attacked, a portion of them would be killed, and then there would be a waiting period, and then the rest would be killed, hmm. which eerily reflects what actually happened there. Right, yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, it might, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, my, 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 one day, I, I, quite honestly, one day, I want to write a book about self, like just examining self-fulfilling prophecies, and my title for my book is going to be called "This One's Going to Sell Big." Yeah, well, I think that that's ultimately what happened with the group. When you look, when you look at them, when you look at interviews from former uh, former members, both <laughs> before the incident and after the incident, there was there was clear evidence that. 
Koresh was preaching an apocalyptic doctrine that he was teaching his followers that there was going to be this confrontation. He was teaching them how to commit suicide uh, by various methods. He was teaching them that death by fire or death by gunshot were you know, perfectly acceptable for a Branch Davidian. And they were stock. They were stockpiling weapons, which they claimed was, you know, part of their gun show business. Which they did do some business, but they also found a lot of machine guns afterwards, and even a few grenades as well. Right. Okay. And that, 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 that kind of brought the uh, was it the ATF involved? They were kind of um, they're they're sort of turning semi-automatics into like fully automatics or something, weren't they? With like little kits or something. Yeah, so um, basically what tipped the government off uh, was two things. A UPS driver reported a, sus- suspicious, a suspicious package that uh, had kind of broken open and it had uh, black powder and grenade casings in it. And then other residents had been uh, reporting what sounded like automatic gunfire coming from uh, the compound, which mm-hmm. would be uh, illegal. Mm-hmm. And so they start the ATF actually... Uh, got the house across from the compound and started a several month investigation on them. Okay, and and there, so there weren't there accusations like Koresh was abusing children or something. He he was kind of he set himself up as a bit as as a Svengali or something, didn't he? Or, oh, or that, is, that, is that just sort of like after the fact, you know, hearsay or something? That's definitely a portion that um, most. Most of uh, the Davidian supporters and like the conspiracy uh, films like to brush over is um, start starting in the late '80s. Koresh started preaching what he called the New Light Doctrine, which basically was that all all women are married to the church, hence married to him. Basically, among his followers, he actually uh, separated the men and the women, including ones that were married. And all the women were only allowed to have sex with him. And he basically took all the other women as wives. Um, he also took underage brides. His very his first wife was 14 oh um, when he was, I believe, 22. And then his next wife, a couple years later, was 12. And then another one, I believe, the next year was also 14. And they they all bore him children. He ended up having, like, at least... I think he had, like, at least... 14 children uh, of his by different women with him when he was uh, in the compound. Right. You know, you know, it's like, um, you know, people are always like, you know, if first we'll have gay marriage and then, we'll, you know, then we'll have pedophiles or something. We'll make pedophiles legal or something. And I think to myself, I've never heard one single gay person ever go, you know, yeah, I should have the right to marry a 12-year-old. The only people I ever hear asking for the right to marry 12-year-olds are religious people, Christians and, and such, you know. And um, it's like another example. I mean, a lot of it, like the, a lot about Koresh seems to parallel like Joseph Smith a lot. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know the, yeah. you know this this young charismatic guy going going around, you know, declaring polygamy is all right for me, taking underage wives, you know, and and even the early situation of the Mormons, you know, stockpiling arms, uh, creating a militarized force that you know actually rivaled you know, state militias at the time. Right, yeah. You know, even like, like you know, I mean, the, the Scientologists, you know, the um, back in like sort of the 80s, you know, they, they, they thought they were like, you know, under government surveillance and, and they, they, got, they grew increasingly paranoid. And, you know, when, when you sort of are kind of paranoid, then you start to, you know, like the Scientologists started like getting 
their followers' jobs within government offices, and they started stealing files and stuff. And and the Scientology, you know, and then the authorities were kind of like, why, why, why are they stealing those files? <laughs> and then eventually they're like, well, we better raid their their compounds, you know. So it it, it again, these, this whole self fulfilling prophecy kind of thing that you know that when you start acting suspicious, people people start to poke around, you know. Yeah, and. As I said, they they performed like a several month investigation. They they seem to come out with a pretty good good idea that some major stuff was happening that they wanted to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, basically, on uh, February twenty eighth of nineteen ninety three, the ATF. Uh, ro- rolled up to the property and uh, with agents loaded in cattle trucks and uh, attempted to serve uh, a search warrant. And people dispute what happens next. It doesn't seem there's actually good evidence uh, to make a determination either way. The ATF says that the um, Koresh and his followers came to the door, were armed, and uh, shot first. Uh, Koresh says that the agents uh, shot first or that they accidentally shot first and um, started the shootout. Mm -hmm. And what resulted was, I believe, even to this day, the longest longest shootout was like two hours uh, in U.S. history. And and there there was some just shocking video that, you know, like, uh, of, of of that gunfight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can... And uh, the documentaries only show like a short portion of it, but you can, if you look around, you can find longer portions of it. And it's just a big, long gun battle. Um, You know, bullets, bullets flying both ways. I believe Uh, six of Koresh's followers ended up, uh, ended up dying that day. Although there's some dispute that uh, several of the followers that died that day may have died from, um, from low velocity, uh, close range mm-hmm. uh, wounds, uh, signifying that they may have been shot from inside, possibly as a mercy killing. You know, maybe from another bullet or I, maybe friendly fire. You know, by accident. Uh, they're not sure. Right. Um, and then four ATF agents uh, were killed, and the ATF start uh, reportedly started running uh, low on ammo, and so they were eventually able to work out a ceasefire uh, over the phone and uh, retreated. And that basically started the, the 51-day standoff. Actually, and, and collected bodies, right? Like, like, that was sort of a big part of the ceasefires. Like, you know, they were sort of agents, dead agents, sort of in no man's land. And, and you know, they didn't want to literally leave them there to, sort yeah. of, you know, rot in the sun and... Yeah, there was there was uh, there was not only dead agents, but there were new, numerous injured agents, and uh, a couple of the agents had actually made it inside uh, inside the compound. Had breached uh, a window on the second floor and had got shot inside. Um, I wasn't able to find anything specifically about how they were able to carry them out of the compound, or if the or if the Davidians maybe placed their bodies outside, or if those people only got injured and were able to leave. But, right. yeah, it seemed they, people got shot on both the inside and outside. Now, now the, the, I believe that the, the ATF, or was it the ATF and the FBI, or just the ATF on the, the first? 
it was it was initially the ATF along with um, they had um, they got National Guard helicopters for support, okay. uh, basically to act as a distraction, and that actually resulted in one of the main conspiracy claims early on was that the helicopters were firing on the compound. Right. Now, the um, I, I believe sort of the ATF plan was kind of like surprise, but didn't they didn't they sort of like uh, they they needed directions for the compound, and the the guy they asked was like Koresh's brother-in-law or something, and. Yes. So um, what happened was apparently a uh, the news folks had gotten tipped off, and so there was a news van that had asked directions from a postman. Oh, okay. Who uh, I've read different accounts was related to Koresh or was a or was just a Davidian himself, and that that ultimately tipped them off. They the the uh, the ATF actually had an under undercover agent in there. Uh, uh, his last name was Rodriguez, and he was actually there that day and said that Koresh basically made it clear to him that he knew the raid was coming mm-hmm. and also kind of knew that he was an undercover agent and kind of had known for a while. Um, the guy booked it out of there, got in, got in his car, and immediately went across the street to to their little house and called up the supervisor telling them to call off the raid. And that was probably one of the first major mistakes they made was not calling it off right then. Right. Yeah. And um, so, what, what, what do the, cons- the conspiracy people? What, what? Why do they claim that they were trying to like, you know, like slaughter all these people? Like, what? What, what is the? What is the? Con- what is the conspiracy angle? Well, the as far as I can tell, the conspiracy theorists tend to make claims more about what they did and more and less about the motive if they do say anything it's just that oh Koresh had guns he was a good white Christian man and there there was a lot of paranoia in the 90s about federal oppression uh, of Christians and gun owners and this wasn't this wasn't long after uh, the federal siege at Ruby Ridge right right yes. and so as so especially someone with with like Koresh's like anti-government like ideology, um, I could you know I can understand how like the tensions were really heightened right there in the early '90s, and then you add on the the apocalyptic beliefs that he really does believe that in the Bible where it says Babylon is going to attack God's people. Well, I'm God; these are God's people. And well, the government must be Babylon, right? Yeah, and yeah, Ruby Ridge was maybe like a couple years before, and that's where again a guy sort of selling illegal guns. Um, uh, what was it, was his name? Ruby? It was uh, Randy Weaver. Oh, it sorry, was actually, Randy Weaver, right? Yeah, it was the previous year in '92. Um, a agents had gotten reports that he might have been modifying weapons such as sawing off shotguns and so they got an undercover agent to get him to agree to make a mod uh to make a sawed off shotgun for him and when they then tried to arrest him for that uh he resisted and ended up holding up in his house with his uh family and a friend and a uh i believe it was 11 an 11 day siege uh resulted um and a number of people were a number of people were shot including uh one of his sons 
he actually eventually won won his case because uh, government just kind of acted improperly. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, that that definitely set the that set the mood for a lot of the '90s stuff. In fact, I feel it carries over today with a lot of conservative sphere of you know big government today. Right. right yeah. I, I seem to recall. I think the. Um... I seem to recall that 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 uh, Randy Weaver he kind of he, he might have got so the drop on a couple agents and actually shot them so um, so you know your 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 fellow agents have been shot by this man so so you know, there was a, a a bit of a revenge motive in it yeah so they I believe they they shot his son they killed his wife as well right like a sniper I might have shot his wife or something. Yeah, there's uh, one of the snipers there, Lon Horici, um, or either he shot her or he was leading the team that shot her, and uh, he's, he claims it was uh, by accident, but basically she was holding their baby, standing by a uh, their front door, and a bullet, a bullet went through and, uh, struck, and struck her and killed her. And uh, funny enough, uh, that same sniper led uh one of the i believe it was sierra one one of the sniper teams at waco as well and he is the center of a lot of uh conspiracy theories there because he was never he was never charged well he was charged but he ultimately got off without being um prosecuted for uh killing vicky weaver um but yeah well okay all right so yeah so so yeah so because we got to roll it back even a bit more because in 92 we, we kind of had a recession it wasn't a terrible recession but it was it was a pretty bad recession it, it's hard to believe now but back in the early 90s like japan was sort of you know like, like if anyone ever watched um um uh, blade runner you know it's like kind of like this japanese future and and <laughs> you know and the, and the japanese were like dominating and you know destroying the american auto industry and and um and um you know george bush the first president went to japan to sort of basically beg them to sort of impose export limits and he just you know vomited at a dinner and it just it just america looked weak and 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 it was it was also sort of the start of the computer revolution and so a lot of you know factory people people who you know uh you know blue collar workers and stuff like that were kind of thrown out of jobs and had not a lot of job prospects as we've sort of seen in you know sort of the latest downturn you know you know as the economy recovers but there's long stretches of sort of jobless recoveries and 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 also whole industries that don't survive kind of recessions and so so these sort of white uh you know blue collar people uh you know outside of sort of you know the you know the coast you know coastal cities uh you know they did see their 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 you know their political power and their prestige and their earning that saw that really take a kick in the pants and so you know you combine that with like um you know with now this whole idea that you know right the government's going to take their guns and you know um, you know, I'm gonna hand them over to minorities, and you know, and the Cubans are gonna come and invade, and yeah, it, it was a, it was sort of set up for a, a lot of paranoia. Yeah, that's that's true. Although, although you have to be careful too about uh, rolling um, rolling the Davidians in with all the um, white supremacist uh, extremism right. of the okay. '90s. Because they were, um, unlike many of the other groups that ended up uh, having federal sieges or standoffs, they actually were multiracial and uh, uh, mul- 
had multiple nationalities. They had Austra- Australians there. They they had um, some black people coming from, uh, I believe, from uh, England. Um, they, they uh, I believe, I remember reading like a a, a third. A third to like half of the people there were uh, were not white or American. Right. Okay. Okay. That's a good, that's a good point. And uh, but so ultimately the uh, the uh, you know, what what happened at um, at Waco. You know, again that sort of fit into that narrative of you know this this um, and it's sort of curious that we're sort of seeing a lot of this with sort of the the the, the Obama regime. You know that that you've got a, a president, a Democratic president, and instead of it seems like when you have Republican presidents, the you know the evil is outside of America. And when you have Democratic presidents, you know it's the government itself is out to, is is the big evil or something. And so, a, a lot of the kind of things you know I'm hearing about Obama, I'm like, oh yeah, that, that was that was all Clinton era talk too. Well, yeah, I mean you def you definitely noticed when when Bush was in office, the left was really ramping up their conspiracy theory rhetoric. When when Obama's in office, the right ring. Uh, you know, they they start throwing around the conspiracy theories, and it was the same way with uh, Clinton. So it's it's pretty predictable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, um, now I remember something about there was like a big debate about you know, like, when when they actually sort of like started puncturing the walls and and sort of uh, uh, pumping like tear gas into the uh, into the compound. I, I think they had them. They had like helicopters with like. IR cameras uh, sort of flying over and took video and so the conspiracy theorists sort of say you know they could see all these muzzle flashes like like the 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 armored cars were like sort of machine gunning um the um like these Bradley they might have been Bradleys or something were like you know shooting up the compound and then the government's saying well no there's just like a lot of broken glass so it's just as the sort of the tanks are rolling over the broken glass it's sort of what you think are muzzle flashes are sort of glints of sunlight and uh so they actually sort of both sides sort of actually did an experiment and 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 they i think they agreed whatever you know if if you know the broken glass sort of exactly matched what you know looked like gunfire then you know then that then then the other side would actually pay for the whole thing and and, and sure enough um you know the broken glass on ir looked exactly like you know muzzle flashes of guns did you did you encounter any of that or yeah, that was the uh, that was the Fort Hood um, experiment, mm-hmm. and the uh, the technology they were using was called FLIR, uh, forward looking infrared. And uh, actually, I thought that was really uh, really cool because what they did was they got the lawyers from both sides to look over the protocol and to actually agree to it, so that you know no. Neither side could go back and say, "Hey, you know, this was a bad test." Although the conspiracy theorists have done that, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, th- this, uh, yeah, that claim was um, definitely popularized by Mike McNulty in his really popular film. Um, what was it? He did the Fleer Project to back uh, to back it up, but it was uh, Waco and New Revelation. He did three three big ones, okay. um, but. But yeah, so they they did a test. They found that you could you can you can also see debris in the actual photos mm-hmm. and match them up to uh, to the FLIR. And in some cases, like where they say there's someone shooting there, you can see the tank treads roll over it. Right, right, yeah. 
And I saw some someone else uh, basically made the claim that oh, that's because they're they're robots. They're those little they're little robots with with machine guns attached to them, and they have like motion sensors or something oh, yeah. on. Okay, that that that's how they sort of explain the the the, 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 the new test they they did. Well, and and part part of that claim uh, where they where they're pinpointing all the muzzle flashes, although they only pinpoint out the ones that would look as if they're going towards the uh, towards the building or that they're near the building, although there's flashes all over the thing in the full uh, the full length video. But the thing is that they were saying during the fire that agents were in these specific positions pinning down the people inside and that they were firing into the only main exit uh, there. And one of the one of the big big claims is that it actually comes right out and says in one of the documentaries, and 15 bodies are found in this area. Mm-hmm. So I went and actually found the 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 map uh, in the reports of where the bodies were found. There's no bodies in that area. Mm. And there's there's another blogger who actually did the same thing, got out the map, and then showed where the pinpoints uh, the pinpoint flashes were on the FLIR, and then showed a line of sight and showed how maybe only one or two people like were within uh were within this line of sight and could have and could have been shot and then all the bodies in there either dot either died of um fire related things such as smoke inhalation or they were shot by close close range low velocity weapons mm-hmm. and oftentimes in the uh positions that indicated suicide such as being shot to the head right okay so, so they had sort of like armored vehicles sort of poking holes in the compound and pumping in tear gas. And so people are sort of split that, you know, that they say that, you know, I, you know, the tear gas caught fire or the purpose of the government purposely set the fire. And then I, I believe maybe the FBI argues that, that the Branch Davidians, you know, sort of was a big, you know, suicide pact that they, they started the fires. What, what's, what's, what's kind of the yeah. deal on that? So... So um, people have investigated the tear gas uh, issue, and it's a simple matter of chemistry and mathematics. You can calculate the percent uh, the percentage of each of the chemicals in the tear gas mixture that would need to be present mm-hmm. and uh, for a fire to actually occur. And there simply were not uh, were not uh, those concentrations present, even when they calculated as if, like, the building was completely closed and wind was actually whipping through the place. Because right. there were holes in the side, yeah. holes um, for starters. But, but so, uh, but the government's case against the Davidians is much stronger, but they don't show you any of that in the conspiracy films. Right, yeah. The government actually had plenty of recordings from inside. They had basically hidden secret mics in the walls, mm-hmm. and... They had numerous conversations of them talking about fire and immediately before the fire, actually talking about pouring fuel. Hey, pour some fuel over here. I need some hay over there. Mm-hmm. And then the the video evidence shows the fire starting almost simultaneously in three different spots. And when the when they actually checked it out, they found fuel cans in each of those spots. The Davidian said fuel cans were crushed by tanks. Mm-hmm. There was no there was no metal stress as if they had been crushed and exploded. Rather, 
there were tool marks and bayonet marks as if someone had punctured, mm-hmm. punctured multiple holes in order to facilitate spreading the fuel around. Right, right. And then they also they found they found uh, accelerants uh, at the points of all fires, and then they they found accelerants on the shoes and clothing of some of the survivors that came out as well. And then upon immediately and immediately after the fire, when they interviewed the survivors before you know the conspiracies had really had time to grow, the consp- uh, most of them like fully admitted to seeing people pouring fuel. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, um, uh, there was sort of a, how long was, did the standoff go on? It was about it was several weeks or something. So yeah, it started, in, it started February 28th and lasted 51 days um, until April 19th. Okay. And that was when the, the FBI just kind of lost their patience, really. Yeah. yeah. No, they, they were kind of like, um, you know, blaring music and apparently the sound of rabbits being killed or something like that to kind of like, you know, deprive the branch divisions of sleep or something. Yeah. Um, from the records I read, it didn't seem like they, um, the conspiracy films make it out to make it out as if they did that the full 51 days. Right, it seems okay. that they only, that they, they didn't, they only did that for several days, but they did. Yeah. They played rabbits being slaughtered. They played Christmas music. They played just like oldies, like, just really bad music and just uh, random noises, and then they would shine lights on the facility. Right, and they were basically just trying to use you know psychological war- warfare to break them down. They were yeah. treating them as if these were rational criminals who could be persuaded rather than extremely devout people who believe they they are living out the Book of Revelations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um... <coughs> Uh, one thing I heard too is that, um, you know, that the um, kind of the like this, you know, the citizen militias that uh, they, we'll talk about this a bit later. The, uh, like the the Bundy standoff that kind of transpired it was a couple of months ago in, in Nevada. Was it was it Nevada or New Mexico? Uh, he's Nevada. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and um, that that um, that that you know because this was you know to sort of the uh, you know sort of the the, the right wing. Uh, element, I think they call it the Posse Comitatus or something like that. That they, um, you know, they they were actually going to kind of like, you know, um, you know Lexington Green, um, you know, the sort of the shot heard around the world. They were going to kind of reenact that. That they were going to kind of stand between, um, uh, you know, uh, the 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 church because they saw it as a church, right? It was, and, and you know, the, the the you know the stormtroopers of the New World Order that that um, that. One of the theories is that the FBI sort of got wind that that these these militia men were were coming, and that was going to needlessly complicate the whole situation. You know, a bunch of guys sort of you know standing with their assault rifles between the FBI and the compound. So so that the, the FBI decided to kind of move, you know, step up the you know the the the, the ground war kind of thing. Well, and that's what I'm saying. They they had already had uh, a couple people who had tried to. Who had tried to or actually successfully entered the compound after, like the, the the ATF siege. So it was obvious that like they wanted to go in and fight it out. Mm-hmm. Like it, it it makes no sense. Like going back in after this is this place has just been attacked. I mean, if you fear for your safety, you hop on the you know the first place to Canada or the first plane to Canada. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, so uh. 
right. So so kind of Ruby Ridge kind of not not quite, but Ruby Ridge kind of maybe begat a bit of um um uh, the Waco siege and the Waco the Waco siege and sort of begat what did that what did that 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 domino fell in and then what did that 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 sort of the it was the Oklahoma bombing or something. Yeah, um, Timothy McVeigh was actually uh, photographed by the FBI at uh, among the protesters um, at Waco oh, during man. the siege, okay. and then he supposedly visit, uh, visited uh, Waco also after the siege and uh, watched uh, supposedly watched uh, the documentaries I was talking about, Waco: The Big Lie, many many times. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah, again, this is all sort of again, you know, evidence of you know, fitting their whole narrative, right? And uh, and uh, and then um, so um, who, who's or who's the Oklahoma bombing guy again? It was uh, Timothy McVeigh. Right. Sorry. Oh. Right. And, and he had he had a, kind of like a partner, and there's supposed to be like some sort of third man that they're not even sure if there was a third guy or something like that, but. Yeah, Nick- Nichols was the second guy. Right. Right. Yeah, Ter- Ter- Terry Nichols. Right. And I think he got like life in prison or something like that. But so coming back to uh, uh, Waco, the, some of the survivors were put on trial, right? And, and how, did they, how did they fare on trial? Um, so initially, um, as, as, people, uh, as people left the compound during the siege at different times, they would be arrested. Um, the, the initial group were all charged with uh, conspiracy of murder, Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of the charges got dropped right away um, uh, against uh, some of the older women. The state just didn't want to take take the risk of trying to prosecute a seventy year old lady for right. murder yeah. when all they could prove was that she passed a gun to someone. Right. Um, so, uh, but they all. Basically, the jury found that they couldn't really prove that any of them had any of them had actually shot the federal agents and there was at that time a lot of doubt about who shot first mm-hmm. um so some belief that they may have been defending themselves uh so they actually eventually all got acquitted of uh, conspiracy and murder right yeah you, uh, you know apparently you can actually if you do honestly believe the police are kind of illegally you know trying to get you you can sort of you 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 can resist or something yeah you can't you can resist if they you if they use illegal force um beforehand but it's it's something that's going to be pretty hard to argue in yeah. court still yeah exactly but yeah i i thought that was sort of one of their defenses and it actually it actually worked or something but um, yeah, I believe that that's that's one of the reasons uh, they they got off. Um, so and that's that's it seems that there's like two major like controversies with the Waco is the issue of who shot first, and then once you set set that aside, who who basically is responsible for the siege and the and the results at the end? You know, should the Davidians have come out? Could they have come out? And stuff. Of course, the conspiracy theorists said no; they couldn't have come out. They would have been shot right away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, imagine too. I mean, like what the um, uh, Jim Jones in like, like in the seventies. I mean, he, you know, he told his people right that you know that um, you know the, the government was going to come and kill them anyway. So, 
they may as well um you know they may as well take their lives or something you know, they're going to come and they're going to torture the children and they're going to kill you and kill your children and so you know may as well kind of go peacefully versus let the you know the american government come and kill all the people or something and yeah I, well, go ahead. yeah I think that i think that that uh i think that jim jones uh was definitely it was definitely cited in the media a lot in both the run-up and during the uh during the waco siege um because right even just before the siege the group was actually starting to get more press um for some of their some of their sketchy things such as underage brides right, right, yeah. And, yeah, and automatic gunfire and uh i think like the day before the siege uh, the local newspapers had just started like this big long expose of Koresh and his group, right, and yeah. the FBI had actually, I think, or the ATF had tried to just like get it not printed because they wanted to not tip them off. Right, <laughs> you know, that, that didn't quite work out, did it? And uh, what, what, what was the ultimate fate of David Koresh? I don't even think we sort of covered that. Oh, so um, he he ended up uh, staying staying until the very end. Uh, they found. They found his body near his uh, his second in command, um, and he had a gunshot wound to his head, and they believe it was uh, the gun found uh, with Steve's. I believe it was Steve Snyder's second in command. So basically, the theory is that uh, basically Steve shot uh, uh, Steve shot David and then shot himself. And that's consistent with what I've read in some of the earlier interviews was basically that the the men had a buddy system uh, of uh, to help each other uh, uh, commit suicide if need be. All right. And, and David Crush, he was a bit of a kind of a bit of an aspiring rock star or something like that. Or yeah, he's uh, he's definitely kind of your. He's not someone you would peg as your typical like Christian cult leader, really. You know, he had this. He didn't, had have long, white, didn't have a white suit. Yeah, he had he had long he had long hair. You know, he had a he had a Hipster beard. He, he, he had a really he had a really simple a simple and colloquial way of of talking, and he you know he liked he liked beer. He liked rock and roll. Um, but he still had this, you know, really strong religious bent uh, to him as well. And one of the things I heard is that, in, in sort of response to the, uh, you know, the, the the FBI sort of psychological warf- warfare, sort of playing the loud music and the, you know, the rabbits dying and stuff like that. That that you know, Kresh and some members of you know his band or something, they they themselves and cranked up their own amps and sort of you know blasted the FBI with their kind of an impromptu concert or something and which and, and they 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 had like louder equipment than you know, kind of like a you know the, the, those those car stereo competitions or something like that did you did you, did you read it No I actually, I actually didn't read them I'm going oh, okay. to take a look look at that That may, I, that may just I be, be surprised <laughs> Yeah that may just be apocryphal or something like that but yeah right. and and uh yeah so so that sort of kicked off the uh, uh, Oklahoma, and um, I, I, and I thought thought it was interesting too. Is like you know, um, you know, rolling forward to the present time, uh, you know, the, the the Bundy standoff in um, uh, Nevada. Let's, let's call it Nevada. Um, that it, it, it was kind of a similar, well, not a similar situation, but again, the you know, the big bad American government sort of crush, you know, trying to take away the rights of this 
poor white racist guy, you know, and <laughs> and but but this time the the you know the citizen militias actually showed up, right? They kind of like did put themselves between um, Bundy and, and you know and the and the government or something. Yeah, I I actually almost wonder if the uh, the reaction there of them actually backing down. Um, if that was, you know, in part from some of the lessons they learned from Waco of, you know, maybe, you know, trying to take it a little bit more easy and not push, trying to push things over the edge. Exactly. So go in with, like, you know, testosterone sort of, you know, you know, it's like sort of, yeah, kind of, you know, sort of penis fencing competition ultimately, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, um, and, um, yeah, so yeah, so they sort of, yeah, again, yeah, the American government sort of backed down, which I always thought was weird because, you know, people want to sort of paint Obama as this, you know, this dictator who's, you know, just out to sort of, you know, uh, you know bring America under this totalitarian government. And, and, you know, any totalitarian government would have gone, okay, well, let's just, you know, bring in some gunships and just machine gun all these people from the air, you know. That's what it was done in Libya or Egypt or something, but but you know the the you know American government sort of backed down. I always wonder how they kind of square that, you know. Yeah, I I don't really know, and that his his case was really strange. I I found it, I just found it odd, like the amount of support he was getting, um, even even I don't know, even from non. Even from people you wouldn't peg as like conservatives mm. either. I I feel a lot of people just didn't like really understand the issues that he was refusing to pay for a simple thing that all other ranchers are paying for. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I was watching that. Uh, I don't know if you watched that uh, Idaho debate uh, where the the the, uh, the the governor sort of let the two cranks debate. Did you Did you see that? Uh, no, no, I didn't. Oh, it was, it was I, won't, I won't sort of, won't rehearse it here. It, it, it is absolutely hilarious, but, um, but what... Oh, I think I did. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. With the, was it the one with the, the biker guy? Yeah. Yes, oh gosh, oh gosh. A, a sexy bear, and leather bear, and, uh, and the, the other guy looked like, I mean, you literally had to look close and go, is that the amazing Randy? But he, <laughs> the guy looked a lot like the, like just his evil twin. It was very disturbing. But um, but I mean, but one of the interesting things about that debate that sort of came out is the, the um, you know the, the they they do not like that you know the federal government has you know lands in every state right you know national parks so that that you know, access to those resources and things are out of the hands of the states and they are in the federal government hands. That, that there seems to be kind of like, I mean, ultimately, I think it's sort of just like a, a money proposition. It's like, well, there's Idaho, there's probably gas and oil under those, those you know, those national parks. And, you know, um, but you know, they don't want to sort of say that. They, they, they got to kind of frame it as, you know, um, you know, the big, bad, evil federal government has, you know, got these national parks where they're probably keeping like Chinese soldiers hidden in those parks, you know, ready to help seize the, you know, that, that kind of thing. That seems to be sort of the, the motivation, but, but I mean, I, I could imagine that that was part of it too down in uh with, with, with the Bundy guy that, you know, he was, you know, he was trying to graze his cattle on federal lands and, you know, the federal government should not have lands in the yeah. independent state of Nevada or something like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that, that stuff has been running since, like, at least the, the sagebrush rebellions in, like, 70s and 80s, like, you oh, know, yeah. ran, ran, ranchers and, 
just folks out in the Midwest seem to really not like the uh, the whole federal the federal lands thing. Right well, they they well they seem to like being able to use it and not having you know uh, private private developers just take it away. But right. then when the government wants to you know make sure that it's used you know reasonably and that you know the people in the area have you know re- reasonable access to it, they they flip out. Right, yeah. Well, it's, yes, too. It's like you know, the, you know, the federal government gives you know, what you call it, you know, price supports for for their beef, and uh, and then you know they they get like you know they get insurance from the federal government at just ridiculously cheap rates, you know, to protect well, against you know failures of their, their their crops or their herds or something. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems that like you know a lot of these ranchers, especially Bundy's, who's uh, ranching on public lands, he's probably one of those guys who talks about takers a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but he, yeah, they, they, I mean, the average American farmer is like subsidized up the wazoo. Like, it, it's in 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 Canada, we um, we kind of got like price boards. So it's like you 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 can't sell milk, you know, directly to you know the grocery store. You have to sort of sell it to the price board. The price board gives you an agreed upon price, and and then in the price board then sort of sells it. You know, to the to the you know the dairies or something like that, and, and this way it ensures farmers always have, a, a, you know, a, a, they they never lose money on on their crops, and that's great when milk is really low. But if suddenly you know milk triples in price, that dairy farmers they don't like these price boards, and and um, so in, in conversely in Canada we pay a lot of money for milk, but in the states the government I believe just gives money directly to the farmers and says you know. Uh, you're going to sell your milk for really cheap, but you can't. You can't, based on our, our figures, you can't make a profit. You can't. But you're going to go out of business, so we're just going to give you tax money, you know, to keep you in business, so you can keep selling your milk really cheap. So Canadians who live near the border, we'll, we'll go to the states and we'll buy our milk there because it's like ridiculously cheap. But you guys are funding that cheap milk with by borrowing from you know borrowing from the Chinese, right? So so you know so in some ways you're kind of subsidizing American borrowing is subsidizing cheap milk for Canadians. And uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. anything else you want to kind of add about the uh, Waco or? Um. Oh no, it's. I just say um, probably one of the one of the best sources to really read up on it is uh, the Danforth Report. Okay. It was a uh, Republican senator appointed by uh, Janet Reno to perform an independent uh, review of all the evidence. Um, in fact, one of the conspiracy films even makes a big deal at the very end. You know, because of the evidence uncovered in this film, there is a new investigation underway headed by Senator Danforth. Mm, okay. It's the very report that then goes and basically debunks every claim they make. Uh, but they, they do it very good. It's, it's uh, point by point. Um, so, you know, we, we didn't really go over every single little claim, and it's impossible to. They just, they will pull out anything, as I said, with, like, machine gun robots. Like, that's just, what? But, yeah. I mean, it's sort of, again, the classic, you know, call, as Dr. Novella likes to say, from Skeptics Guide to University, the anomaly hunting. I mean, it's it's a really super chaotic day, and it's, like, super chaotic, you know, 50 days and stuff like that. And, and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll never get the complete and absolute full story on this. Yeah. And I think if you're fi- 
definitely if you're familiar with like you know the 9/11 conspiracy documentaries, you could probably watch one of these Waco documentaries and like pick out what's probably wrong with it right. Like, right away. Like you can notice the where they're as you said they're just cherry picking or they're just looking for anomalies and stuff or you know creative editing and right, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And as and as I said in some cases, just outright lying. There were no 15 bodies at that at that spot. Right, yeah. Or it's like, you know, you know, with, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, well, wouldn't you logically do this, but they did this, you know? And and, and that's always, I've, I, I feel, like kind of an argument conspiracy people make. You know, they, they have the benefit of you know, hindsight. And, and, yeah, and you know, that's, that's the other thing. Like, even, like, looking at myself, like, I feel like it, it looks like they, the government just just screwed it up that they made some poor decisions but that's that's with hindsight they they had you know they had a long investigation they actually did have a lot of information to work off of you know they had some they had some major miscommunications between their uh their negotiation team and then their action team Mm -hmm. and so so that definitely caused a lot of problems but ultimately you can't really say that you know if you don't if you didn't know what you knew now that you could lead that raid any better, right. and and I feel that you know uh, especially the Danforth report kind of makes a good case for this that the Davidians were pretty much hell bent on this outcome okay. that even before there was a raid planned they were talking about you know, the the possibility that their compound is going to get raided, and they were preparing for it. Right. I mean, this was, this was either something that either there was a raid was going to happen, something was going to come to a head, or they were going to be left alone, and there was going to be some major violent event or mass suicide. Like, they, they were hell-bent on some major, like, thing happening. Right, yeah. I mean, a lot of, right, a lot of... This then what would not be the first and won't be the last kind of cult that sort of you know it, where it ends in, in in basically sort of a mass suicide and and you know and uh, killing people who maybe don't quite want to kill themselves. Yeah. And, and I think uh, I don't know I think the Waco the Waco story and the conspiracies around it can teach us a lot of good lessons about other conspiracies. Um, I think there's one. Uh, Maybe it's Harlan's Razor. Um, basically, oh, ha- ha- if, Hanlon's Razor. Or? Yeah, um, <laughs> if you um, that base you sh- instead instead of attributing something to malice, it's yeah. often better to attribute to just a cock up. Right, incompetence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. I think uh, I think it's uh, shortened as a uh, cock up before conspiracy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I've always it's it's. Um, you know, even even in in my career, like I've always had to sort of like you know remind myself of that. That you know, I, I don't know if you've been out in the work world, but you, when you get into the work world, you kind of realize nobody is competent. Nobody knows what they're doing. No one knows what authority they have. It, it's 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 a lot of by the seat of your pants, and and yeah, and and there is just sort of a lot of incompetence sort of flying around, and 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 you know things ultimately get done, but you know yeah. the, the hindsight they got to be done better, but yeah, I mean people people in you know powerful positions definitely do things in self interest, but there's so many people 
acting within their self-interest against each other. That's that's why, like, with this, I feel it illustrates that, you know, you don't have to believe that the government did everything right in this case. Mm-hmm. You don't have to believe that they didn't cover anything up. Um, there is evidence that they tried to cover some stuff up. Ultimately, it was nothing that would have incriminated them uh, necessarily, but they they did mess up. They did co- cover a few things up to, to try and save their asses, but in all cases... It could be tracked down to just one or two employees. Right. There, they, these, the idea that there is, you know, these grand conspiracies. Grand conspiracies are just extremely rare. You know, the cr- petty criminal conspiracies. You know, they're they're quite common. Right. Yeah. But it's it's these it's these grand conspiracies that the conspiracy theorists always focus on so much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And um, I guess we could we could we could wrap it up. Um, well, what what is, what is your blog? Uh, my blog is skepticalvegan.com. Uh, .com, okay. All right, then. And and, I'll, I'll obviously put a link to it on the, on the show notes. And you can find me on Twitter at uh, skepticalvegan. Okay. And and you're, you're going to TAM? Uh, yes, I'll be, I'll be at TAM this year. Oh, okay. Co- coincidentally, I'll be at TAM. Yeah. yeah. I'll yeah. see you there. All right. I, 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 usually I sort of say, you know, if you're show up for something like a TAM or something skeptical meeting and uh, and someone said, hey, you know, James, I, I, I uh, heard you on Conspiracy Skeptic. It was really good. Can I buy you? Uh, what, what, could, what, what can someone buy you? Like, Are you allowed to hmm. drink vegans? Like, Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, so, but there's... not a milk. They can't buy a milk or a milk. No, or no, no milk. Okay. No milk. Um, if uh, we're down at the bar, uh, I like PBR, Pabst Blue Ribbon. Okay, um, okay. Although, uh, I think the beer selection over at the Del Mar is a little limited, so uh, yeah. I think I usually drink Blue Moon over there. Okay. You, you've been to TAM before? Uh, I believe this will be my fourth year. Oh, jeez. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And um, I, you know, my, my, my girlfriend, who's also my biggest fan, she uh, she sort of created a conspiracy skeptic mug, and um, I believe she made ten of them. Uh, I, I've shipped one off already. She She... So has one here we drink out of so that that's two that leaves eight um i i think th- at least three uh stuart robbins nigel and um mm, somebody else uh, or, or, or the, the fluoride the fluoride gentleman sorry i forget your name uh, it might be james as well uh, uh, J- J- it was uh james funston yes yes right yes. my friends yeah <laughs> so i think i got i got three of those earmarks but uh yeah w- w- yeah you you are more than welcome to a conspiracy skeptic mug free 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 all for participating. Oh, I love one. Okay, yeah, yeah. I will I will, I will make I'll I'll try I'll try to earmark one one for you. Um, the, the, the people are like, where can I buy one? Where can I buy one? And I'm like I'm like, no, you don't you don't you don't get it. The, the podcasting is mostly we call a, I call it a potlatch economy. Um, I don't know <laughs> if you had those in in in, in kind of the Canada's Pacific Northwest, the, the Indian tribes. Like if your daughter was getting married, you had to give all sorts of crap away and and everybody was always trying to uh, you know beat the previous potlatch and give even more stuff away and it became ruinously expensive you know that the government had to sort of step in and, and no more potlatches because you people are all potlatching yourself into poverty and so so yeah so so podcasting tends to be yeah a potlatch economy you, you just 
give stuff away and I'm gonna you know I want to give more stuff away than the next guy yeah so so the, the mugs the mugs are for sale your money's no good to me but um all right yeah and uh, so yeah well, it would be nice to nice to see you at at the TAM and I'm happy I'll be able to hope I can enjoy a beer with you yeah definitely and yeah uh love to talk with folks about you know any conspiracies or anything so, okay. All yeah. right. Okay. And my my old question too is what what uh, military science fiction or fantasy military uniform would you uh, would you would you would you like to wear? Like what what of those forces would you join just to wear the uniform? I haven't asked that one in a while. I think. So what? Uh, but you're 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 a longtime listener, so maybe you've had this one prepared. You know, for some reason, I always like Starship Troopers. Oh yeah. The, yeah. uh, the the movie or or the or the the book kind of battle armor implementation. Um, I guess I mean visually, I, I like the movie. Okay. Uh, but, yeah. All right. Cool. Okay. All right. So I well, I can't bring you a Starship Troopers uniform, but I'll definitely just make sure make sure we pack a mug for you. Ah, awesome. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot, James. It was, it was quite interesting. All right. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> so, do we say where you lived? Is it okay to say where you lived? Uh yeah, um, I'm out in Oakland, California. Yeah, you're out in Oakland, California. All right, not 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 a California lawyer. Oh. Okay, great. All right, super. Have a have a good night. All right, you too. Bye bye. Night. Juices of the dying, we are no monsters, we're moral.